0: Hello? Hello? It's all around us. everybody what's up and welcome back to project archivist things are different now besides the fact that we have a new show opener it's been a minute since i dropped an episode it's been quite some time actually lobos left the show and i'm pretty much running everything on my own now i won't go into a lot of detail about it is he gone permanently i don't know time will tell the door is open if ever he wants to come home this is always where it will be but um for the most part, I just had a lot of stuff going on and this show can be taxing at times and it gets to a point where it takes up every one of my Saturday nights and scheduling can be a pain. And so every once in a while I hit the burnout phase and I have to take a step back and chill out for a little bit. This was a little bit different because this one took a little bit longer and I was really not sure if I wanted to come back and do this again, or do this particular show again. So uh, I put a lot of thought into it. I had a a little vacation that I took, and through a lot of driving, I put a lot of thought and said, well, am I going to do this again or not? And I had a lot of people that stepped out of the woodwork and people that I haven't talked to in a long time and said, no, you, you really need to do this. You should do this. If you want to do this, you should do this, because... This is what you do. And uh, there was only one person, really one person that said, no, I don't think you should do this anymore. I think you should call it quits and maybe do something else. And for whatever reason, that person triggered me into another direction. And I said, no, I I think I will try to give this a shot and see where it goes. How much is going to be different? Well, other than the fact that Lobo won't be here, um, the plan is to have rotating co-hosts as needed. The content should still be somewhat the same. Every once in a while, I will continue to do funny, stupid shows because that's just a form of taking a break. I followed the X-Files model where every so many episodes, they would have a funny show. And I kind of stuck with that here over the years. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I thought about it and I thought about it. I said, well, maybe I should go back to our roots as to where we started. So ghost hunting, UFOs, all of those kinds of things, starting at square one, starting over again, and then diving back into the rabbit holes and seeing what strangeness I can find out there and see where this goes. So for the most part, uh, rotating co-hosts as needed and we'll just see it and take it wherever it goes. One of the things about Archivist is that every time we try to control it or try to steer a path or try to plan something that happens with it, it always seems to go off of the rails. So then we got to step back and just let it do its thing and let it boot on its own. And sure shit, this is what happened this time. It's just rebooting itself. Things are falling into place. Uh, guests are contacting me and we're gonna to see where it goes. Honestly, though, if it didn't work out, I would have been podcasting anyways. It probably would have been similar to this. I probably wouldn't have as much comedy or silly stuff every once in a while. So I was like, well, If I'm going to do that, so everybody else said the same thing. If you're going to do that, you might as well just keep going with what you're doing. So uh, this brings us to where we're at now. For this episode, we've got good friend of the show and returning guest, uh, sometimes co-host James Nettles on here to kind of give me a hand with the co-hosting responsibilities. Recently, I had the opportunity to have dinner with him, his wife, and another friend of the show, Calandra, who's been on here before, at this really cool, like... It was an Irish pub of some kind underneath a strip mall, and I had, um, it was bison uh, bison meatloaf, and it was really, really good. It was really neat. So I got to hang out with him for a night. So when I got back, he was one of the first people I called and said, hey, um, I'm, I'm looking to get this going again, and you know, do you have any advice or ideas as to where I should go? And he goes, you know what? I think I've got four of them, but let's start with one at a time. So for this episode, he brought a buddy of his on, which is Tally Johnson. Tally and him are convention. Buddies. They hang out at a lot of the different writers' conventions and all over the place and stuff. So they've known each other for a while. They're both from South Carolina. And Tally is a writer of ghost hunting books and history and uh, things to do with Appalachia. And in this episode, we really didn't have any idea of what we were going to do. So we just said, let's sit down and let's just throw stuff out there and see what happens. So this is more of us just riffing on one another as we sit back and have a couple of beers. Tally brings to the show uh, stories about the Brown Mountain Lights, which is something we really haven't covered. A few different ghost stories that are down there. Uh, James chimes in with uh, a cryptid or two, I believe. And we just kind of go all over the place talking about strange phenomena in South Carolina and the Appalachian Mountains, which I'm probably saying wrong. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was just really cool just to sit down and talk about strange things and and get the ball rolling again. So having said all of that, we're going to jump right into this. And as always, I will see you guys at the other side. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, For this episode, I've got my buddy James Nuttles here sitting in the co-pilot seat. Everybody should know who James is at this point. You've you've been on here numerous times um, to bail me out for co-hosting purposes or for shows, etc. So um, you brought a friend along with you, and you brought Tally Johnson. Now, Tally, you are a would it be fair to call you a paranormal author? Would that would that sound right? Or I mean, you cover a large gambit of stuff. So let's. What was it? The nickel tour? I said dime store, but you said you can't afford dimes, so you're going to give us the nickel tour.
1: I write true ghost story books, mostly about South Carolina. Um, I tell ghost stories for money. Hint, hint. And um, I've written a book of Southern Gothic short stories called Creek Walking. Mm-hmm. Which the tagline on it is a little bit Faulkner, a little bit Foxworthy, and that's pretty close to n- nails it. Ghost story books are pretty much based on I go figure out what's ha- supposed to happen and tell you what did happen when my crazy self went. So
0: so you're a muckraker then?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Paid liar works. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, <laughs> paid liar. <laughs> yeah. We'll lie for liquor.
0: Will lie for liquor or moonshine, as we've discussed. Yeah, James was telling me you guys hang out at a lot of conventions and stuff together, and we were shooting around ideas to try to come up with different topics for the show. And you said uh, James is like, I've got this guy. And uh, we've done a couple of cons together. And we did one con where we just threw together this panel on ghost sex. And I'm like, oh? He says, yeah, we just kind of... I was walking by, and he grabs me and pulls me into this panel. And we just sat down and started talking and had no idea where the hell we were going with this. And apparently you were wearing a kilt, and something blew up your kilt. And... You were uh, talking on stage about how you were having sex with a ghost or something like that. And I went, all right, this guy sounds interesting. So he sent me your info. We got in touch. And I started reading through Creek Walking. You had talked in there about the Brown Mountain Lights. So, James, you said you've also covered the topic of the Brown Mountain Lights. That is something that we've never, ever talked about on this show. So I guess since you both are, uh, I guess we will use the term educated about the topic, let's start there. And where do we start with that?
2: Well, uh, well, right now I'm sitting about 62 miles away from Brown Mountain and the overlook. Um, So when you go up into the mountains of North Carolina, um, where Brown Mountain is located is in a stretch of the oldest piece of the Appalachian Mountains, which is the oldest mountain range running through the country. So when you're up there, you're in very old, very worn down mountains, but these are still relatively high peaks. Um, In fact, we just got some snow up there about a week and a half ago. And so when you go up the mountains, you're going through these little windy back roads almost. And you pop through these little overlooks and you can see Brown Mountain. It's a it's a good sized park. It kind of scoops down into a bowl. And so if you go through in the daytime and you're looking at the overlooks, it looks like a lot of the rest of the mountains do. You can go to the other side of the road. You see Grandfather Mountain off in the distance, which is, of course, is a, a major park and a major event up here. And so when you go into Brown Mountain during the daytime, it's pretty much a couple of nice big overlooks. Pretty mountains. Take a picture. Go on your merry way. However, when you when you're up there at night, it becomes a little bit different. Um now, I will, will openly admit we've gone up there chasing, chasing lights there uh, as well as a number of other places. We, you know, we've done PZ electric testing up there. We've done you know, we've done a number of things looking to see what, what kind of disturbances happen. And a lot of things that'll, that can happen, you know, we sat there and watched the fog roll in over the mountains, which, of course, is sitting in the cloud banks. And you can get a lot of interesting things up there. And the big question becomes – What's which story do you prefer about the history of the Brown Mountain Lights?
1: Well, there are only
2: like four of them. There's, yeah. And that's on, you know, well, that's depending on who's who's been in the moonshot. So, Tally, why don't you go ahead and start running through those?
1: Okay. Um, and like I say, the best place to see the lights is from Wiseman's View Overlook on the Blue Ridge Parkway. I can't remember the mile marker. I, basically, I, I've gotten to where I can drive it by touch. I don't pay any attention to the signs anymore. But yeah, like I said, there are about four different versions. The most famous print version is Nancy Roberts um, talking about the battle between the Catawba and the Cherokee for hunting rights on Brown Mountain. Supposedly, all but two Cherokee died, and all but one Catawba died. So the Cherokee. Cherokee won the hunting rights and the lights are the torches pine wood torches of the wives mothers sisters daughters trying to locate their dead relatives on the mountain scotty wiseman of the wise and family who then Overlook's named after wrote a song called The Brown Mountain Light, and it's cringe-worthy now. It talks about a faithful old slave who's looking for the ghost body of his dead master who fell off a ed- ledge deer hunting, and the light is his torch trying to find him. And there's another version that circulates in some of the hollers up that way. Father went looking for lost children who were out berry picking and fell off another ledge, and the light is his kerosene lantern floating around. What I've seen when I've been is not the oranges glow circle of a kerosene lantern, however, it's more bottle rockets and. Roman candles and fireflies of different colors and degrees.
2: So you guys have both seen these firsthand then? Well, I've seen lights um, and we might have caused a few of them upon occasion, too. But that's a different story, too. (laughs) Uh, um, So one of the things that I I really found have found interesting is um, when you go up there and there used to be an old country store not that far away that had, quote unquote, artifacts from the from a whole region. And I mean, it's been probably gone for 30 something years, at least at this point. But they, they used to have a lot of, art, quote unquote, artifacts and things like that in there. And it, like say, it's been a long time since I've been in there. I was a kid. But having gone up there a number of times and having gone and played skeptic on some of the studies up there, and done some of the measurements, you know, I've seen things, but it, you, there's only certain times a year. It seems to happen most often, um, you know, and it doesn't, you know, I've gone chasing the fireflies up there. But you can tell those at, a, at an interesting distance. So I've not seen anything that I couldn't look at and say we had a pretty good idea what it was. But it's still kind of one of those spots that it, it gets very eerily quiet. There are certain areas as you go through the mountains. I mean, if you go down into Linville Falls. Um, there are certain times of year in certain areas, which is not that far down from there, that you can be there and it'll be dead quiet and you won't hear a thing stirring. And it's a it, you can get a very similar feel in that area. Yeah, it's I'll,
1: almost like, like something's waiting for you to get the hell hell gone so it can go back to doing what it was doing before you showed up. Yeah, that's a real common feeling up there in several places, not just Brown Mountain.
0: What's the closest you guys have been to these things? You've only seen them off at like a distance. Are we talking like a quarter mile, or have you actually been right up on
1: top of them? Um, I um, have been on top. Normally, I think the overlook, and Jim can probably correct me, I want to say it's about a half mile from the ridge that is Brown Mountain. And like I say, I've seen... The streaks and the flashes and different things. And i and Jim's right. It seems like the early fall, early spring are the best times to try to catch them. And normally right around dusk, you don't want to go at like dark 30, midnight or anything. So those seem to be more peak viewing times than others. you got to my video yet? Um, I have not. Um, a friend of mine has, and I've seen there's hundreds of clips on YouTube of them. Jim may have had more luck with tech than I have.
2: Yeah, and uh, we never had a whole lot of luck with with attacking the lights because you've got to get really low light light equipment in there to to really see and do anything. Now I'll tell you what we you know we've had and we can you know there's other places. I mean, like say I was down doing some work. So what you know, in Texas? So what do you do? You go to Marfa. So have seen something out there, but again, it's a light in the distance. Really, not a whole lot you can do with that. Um, and Tally, what what's the one down in Charleston that just got torn up where they built the neighborhood? Somerville Light. Yeah, the Somerville Light. But I tra- i thought I had a different name to it than that too.
1: Well, there's another. There's two in Charleston. There's Somerville Light, and then there's the Ravenel Light.
2: Yeah. Um, so you know, going and chasing lights. There's plenty of places you can go and chase lights. Um, and the problem is, you a lot of the time it's it it can be very pinpoint and i'd say probably the closest i've ever gotten to something is maybe a hundred feet which means it tells you it's not it's not lightning bugs it's not a lot of other things along those lines but you know it's not anything that I've gotten anything definitive off of other than look, at the shiny light.
1: Well, one thing about like Joe Bald went out in Mako, North Carolina, Raven, the Ravenel light, Marfa even, those are more Earth like phenomena that they're probably a natural, a more natural explanation. The Brown Mountain lights have been recorded for. God, uh, 200 years, 250 years at least. And and they, um. I mean, uh, uh, one of my favorite parts about the Brown Mountain Lights is the government has tried to help more than one. And my favorite version is, I think the Coast and Geodetic Survey said that the lights were, and this is almost a quote, the reflection of the refraction of the diffusion of the kerosene headlamps on the trains on the old Fort Trestle going over the Packlet River. And I'm like, yeah, I suppose that's right, because light in the mountain does weird things with all the different layers of clouds and whatnot. Until the 1913 Faculate River flood took out all the trestles between Knoxville and Columbia. Mm -hmm. And the light showed up a week later. See, we've got something
0: like that up in Michigan, and the Upper Peninsula, (laughs) we have the Paulding lights. And Mm -hmm. I've been there a couple of times. The Paulding lights, you don't always see them. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And um, Paulding, it's like this ridge. You look down and there's this trail that goes down. And there used to be a railroad thing at the bottom of it. And um, there's a trail that goes down. It's used for power lines now. Those lights have been reported the same way they've been reported for a long, long, long time back to the Native Americans. And they've had skeptics come up there. And they've said, um, well, what you're actually seeing is there's a freeway way on the other side of the ridge. And when you're seeing those lights, you're seeing the taillights and the headlights of the cars that are turning a corner around there. And they, they were like, we have a person over there that's got a walkie-talkie or cell phone. And when a car comes by, they'll phone and say, there's a car coming. And, of course, you see the lights. And they're right, but they're also wrong because where those lights are happening is up above where the actual Paulding light itself is happening. And the Paulding light is these uh, lights. They just kind of form. They beam. They, you know, they bob and weave. They move around. They get brighter. They get darker. They're in different colors. And the weird thing about them is is you can walk down this ridge and you can walk up to them, but the closer you get to them, the more they just disappear. So you could be standing under them and somebody up on top of the ridge will be like, yeah, they're right above you. You can see them going on. And when the headlights, the car lights come through, those are at a higher elevation level because they're equal to where you're standing across the freeway to the other side. So yeah. when somebody goes there, if there's a skeptic, and they go, "Yep, we've disproven these lights," blah blah blah, there it is. I can see where they would say, "Yes, these—that's what that light is," but they—they're not right though, because I've been there when both phenomena. I've seen them with my own eyes, and. Now, I don't think it's a paranormal thing. I don't think it's like ghost haunting the woods again. there's a the similar legends that you guys got. It was a, one of the legends that we have is that it was a railroad operator that got crushed between two trains, and the light you're seeing is the light. It's always the lantern. There's always a lantern in the story of yeah. some way shape or form. Oh, what is the yeah, there's always uh, – then there's another one where it's Native Americans and spirits. There's always that in the story, too, with these lights, it seems like. Um, I can't remember what the story with the Marfa ones are, but the Marfa, Texas lights, those are believed to be the same thing. They're just reflex, refraction of light from a freeway that's out on the other side of the field or the plane or where the heck the lights are taking place. That is the, quote-unquote, skeptical explanation for what it is. Um, but yeah,
1: one thing I will say for Brown Mountain, and I don't mean to interrupt, no, is – I- where Brown Mountain is, there are no train tracks mm-hmm. that I'm aware of, and I'm kind of a train nut by blood and burr. No tracks in the area, and it's just the side of the mountain with of trees. Field, and you have to readjust yourself to see downtown Morganton, which is the nearest town of any size, to the lights. Mm-hmm. So it's not reflections of city light. The interstate is even more over to your um, west. Yeah, Yeah. Brown Mountain are one of those that... Do I think it's a ghost? Not really, but do I think it's probably the coolest thing you'll see for free? Yeah. I mean, because like I say, I've been up there probably uh, two dozen times or more, and I'm about 22 out of 24 for seeing them when I go.
0: I get this image of at night, it's like everybody's just packed looking for these lights at night. Is that how it is? Because... Like in Michigan, yeah. where Paulding is at, they've got an actual sign there. It's a, it's a designated Michigan landmark, and it's got like a little drawing of Casper on the sign. And it's not always full of people from what I know of, but you pull up at night and there's a little parking area you can park and walk over oh, yeah. and look at it.
1: Yeah, you, you normally if you go, especially in, like I said, the peak, to peak times, there'll be a dozen cars in the overlook. Mm-hmm. And the park service who maintains the parkway have actually put up a sign that kind of gives some of the backstory of the lights and um, some of the different things. So, I mean, it's the same way with Brown mountain. It's probably for the Southeast, I would say it's probably one of the wider known urban legend. If not, if not ghost stories in the entire shooting map. Yeah. And I mean, you
2: can go through there and there's times that you'll see people uh, see it packed. And there's other times you, you can go through and there's not a soul there. Um, so, I mean, but I think that people have kind of gotten an idea. It's the time times a year it happens. Um, and the other t- the times I've actually had a little better luck is that October, November time, early November time frame. Yeah. Um, which goes back to, I think, being something that's a, a natural effect, whether it's, you know, temperature inversion. It's it's the electrical fields that come off those old mountains and all the quartz that's in the mountains. Yeah. Um, you know, because, I mean, I've been in a mine and you see little if you turn out the lights you'll see flashes and flickers of light and a lot of the time that's coming from uh, the quartz and other things that are in the rock and the pressure that's going on so
1: well with that you bring up an interesting point <clears throat> talking about the light flickers and reflections of the quartz i took a friend of mine up and it's been 10 years ago now and born and raised in charlotte hadn't really been out and about In the woods much. And you've been to Brown Mountain. It's dark, but it's not country black. Holy crap, this is dark, dark. Like what we're used to. Um, It's not as black as my soul by a far (laughs) And But he was seen... The flickers, because his his eyes could not adjust to the darkness he was in, because he was used to the ambient light of the street lights and the headlights, and so he would see lights in his entire field of vision, because he's trying to manufacture that glow, and that may be part of it, too, if you have folks who've never spent any real time outside in the dark, you know, physiological explanation could be as good as anything else. Yeah, because
0: dark out in the countryside's different than dark in the city. You don't have that's why the stars are brighter and stuff when you're out in the countryside because you don't have the pollution yep. light from the over you know from the cities and stuff coming in.
1: So yeah, we call that country dark down here. Yeah,
0: yeah, up here we call it somebody left the lights out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I mean, it's like what is 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 this like a ball lightning phenomenon? I'm sure both of you have seen ball lightning. You're both in the south, and you have more occurrences of ball lightning down there than we do up here in the north. But um, I've seen ball lightning firsthand, up close and personal. And uh, if you don't know what the hell it is, it is—it's pretty scary shit. So, yeah. is, is it like that kind of a thing, or is—are are these different no, sized like balls now?
1: What I've seen is like streaks. Like I say, it's kind of like bottle rockets or Roman candles going up, but there's no pop at the end. Uh And I see flashes almost like somebody cutting on a flashlight with a weak battery. You know, they'll pop on, pop off. Yeah. And What I've seen has been multicolored. I mean, it's been red, green, blues, yellows. Now, the flashing bright red light in the bottom corner of your field division of the cell phone tower, which is how you can live stream this crap on Facebook, that's not a ghost light, but... The ones over the ridge have been more, like I say, streaks or whatever, not necessarily big balls like Ravenel or Marfa. That's probably closer to what what
2: I've seen up there the couple of times I've
1: seen anything
2: is a a much smaller, almost a zigzag sort of thing. It's not that slow header, ball lightning arc sort of a feel that you get. And you can usually hear that, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and as quiet as it is up there, you would probably hear some of that discharge.
0: So are these at treetop level? Are they in the trees moving around? You know, how, how would you, what are they, what are they like? Can you see the forest through the trees with these things? I guess, I don't know.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 they break tree line. Um, I've seen them in the trees on the top because the way the ridge runs, you can see the pines on top. It's almost like a bristle brush. Yep. And you can see them in the tree line, in the trees, and above the tree line as well. At least I, that's what I've seen when I've been. Jim's mileage may vary on that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's, and again, I think it's some, it some depends on the time of year you're there. But I mean, most of the trees are evergreen, so you've got, but you can still see stuff. Is, is sometimes it's well above the tree line, or not above the tree line, but it looks above the trees because you're not seeing that break. But a lot of time it is a flickering in and out.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So the obvious question I got to ask, because this is where I go with this stuff, have either of you been on the ground there while it's happening above you or in the area? Or have you guys only witnessed it from a distance? Do people go there and see these things at ground level?
2: And It's, it's hard to get into the park to do that. Okay. Because you can see it from the overlook, but the way the terrain is and the way the park rangers kind of are too, um, it, it's kind of hard to get into the park that way.
1: Um, you can do it. Well, I think the biggest thing is you just have to be able to bushwhack your way there because there's not any really fine long-distance trails that go that way. That's part of the trouble. I mean, you could do it, um, but you know, there's just a good a chance you could get bewildered and wind up halfway to Boone, too. So, See, that amazes you, me. You I would, would think not with... recommend trying to go on the on hunt on foot to find them, no. That would not be the best way to use of your time.
0: I can't. That's that's amazes me because you would think with a phenot like up here in Paulding, you can walk down the ridge and get to where these things are supposed to be going at when they're going off, but. With a phenomenon that's that well known, that's visible from the side of the road, you would think that it would be more people would have made it more accessible to get back there or something at that point. Just be, just, to, just the nature of people are wanting to get up there and see that, you well,
2: know, the, the, the brush grows very quickly
1: <laughs> from of any paved road. I mean, it's not one of the things you can just jump out of the car and run up somebody's driveway. It's yeah. I mean you, you do have to be committed to the call. and, like I say, some of the other lights more earth like types with the the balls those you can park, get out and you know hang out and see what happens and approach when you see, if you see it but have you yeah, gone to
0: any of those and done that yet? Have you gone those, to any of the ones where you can just walk up to where they're at and and, and see them and, um,
1: and ride I haven't had much luck actually spotting them. I've gone to hunt for the Ravenel light twice um i did see the one out at um somerville down near charleston before they wrecked the joint with the new neighborhood and the industrial park and i've been out to mako to see joe baldwin um before they reconfigured the tracks in that area and screwed up the sideline
2: yeah and i'm like say down in somerville because i um i've been to the one i've seen them in somerville i've gone two or three times a long time ago and we we've, we've spotted them really one time um the second time i necessarily can't can't say what we saw because we'd been down at iop and i forget the name of the bar um but uh alcohol yeah.
0: may have been a factor <laughs> alcohol
2: may have been a factor in that trip um but, it, you know, when you can get closer and um, close enough, it it's one of those things that seems to move in perspective. I've never been able to see anything like that we could get close enough to to go and say, huh, well, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, That's how the one up here is. The closer you get to it, the more it seems to fade away or just dis- 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 disappears. But you well, can be like below it. Talking
1: about the fade away as you get close, that reminds me of the symbol the Hounds of Hell over in Wales. Mm-hmm. hmm Mm-hmm. Um, when they're chasing you, the barks are louder the further away they are, and as they get closer, the barks get fainter. And, of course, when the hellhounds catch up to you, they drag your soul to the underworld with Anwen um, to there reside until the Last Judgment. So,
0: See, that's reminiscent some of fairy folklore. Some of these
1: earthlings might be hellhounds trans- transformed into something new and different.
0: Well, Will-O'-The-Wisp, you know, it's the same, that's the same, they all, they all, they're like fairy lights. You know, the fairy lights are the ones that are in the woods that guide you into the woods until eventually you become lost and get lost in the fae Rome or abductor or what have you. So yeah. there's lots of stories like this from, you know, time immoral from, from on, you know, there's, there's all these kinds of things. Um, then you fall back to the age-old tried-and-true swamp gas, but... Um, I've seen swamp gas. Swamp gas is have, have either of you? I'm assuming you both have because you're from the south. You've oh yeah. Seen, seen swamp gas? That's yeah. that's kind of yeah. you know the balls of green light that just come out of the ground and poof and they're gone. If you don't know what the hell that is, that is pretty freaky. But there's been no time where I've looked at it and went, wow, that's a UFO. You know, but
1: that's, yeah, well, I mean, it's like six inches off the ground, so it's like, yeah, this is
2: yeah, these are way up in the tree
1: re- gone ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Now. Well, now, while we're t- still talking about that Brown Mountain area, that's not the only weird stuff that goes on in that area. Oh. Um, right. Since we're talking about hellhounds, I mean, there's the hellhound that roams around down there in Valley Crucis. Uh-huh. Um Oh, yeah. So, um, they call it the demon dog. About uh, it's They call it the demon dog. But Valley Crucis is in that same area. Um and so is Mass General Store. So if you need your sugar fix, you go in a Mass General Store. You'll um, we'll be the sure to see something. Yeah, yeah, you're going to see something. Um, but there, there's a couple of streams, and there's a the reason it's called that is there is a right angle almost in the valley, so it forms this really sharp cut. Um, <sighs> and this is not that far from Brown mountain and all that different area, but that's got its own, you know, hellhound devil dog running through there as well. Never seen it, but I've spent enough time in there that, you know, I'm pretty sure we would have at least taunted it. Um,
1: but I mean, and that's a flowing rock in that same part of the world. The Cherokee have a whole host of stories. I mean, you've got the Sally, the brave who wanders around. Who's that? Um, the Sally is, basically, he's the reason the Cherokees still have their reservation in the east. Him and his brothers ran around sniping at Winfield Scott's troops in the mid-1830s during the removal. And basically, Winfield Scott and the army said, okay, if you turn yourself in, we'll keep like two clans worth of Cherokee here and everybody else goes. If you don't turn yourself in, we're just going to kill everybody that's left. So, so Sally turned himself in, and the of course, they shot him. They had a fire firing squad. But, um, there have been reports from hikers, especially on the AT, and some of the other trails up in Smoky Mountain National Park, that you'll see this Native American walk out of the woods, and basically walk past you, walk past you on the trail and when you turn and look he's gone but um and it seems like he shows up around the anniversary of his death and the anniversary of the removal and things so, so there's a bunch of serious weirdness in the north carolina mountain
0: well the um appalachian mountain ridge is known to have all kinds of weird legends all the way through it um, from you know UFO sightings all the way down to Bigfoot to you know everything in there for the most part um, that whole that whole ridge is just known for strangeness it's like that that's like this landlocked weird bermuda triangle part of the world for lack of a better term so it's not surprising cuz i i you know that's like the mothman just fringes on all of that stuff too you've got all those different legends of things that go through there so it's not real surprising. And it, like I said earlier, a lot of this stuff kind of borders on fairy folklore. It's kind of like American fairy folklore for the most part. That seems like it's been transmutated to fit our culture for the most part. So,
1: well, but you have well, to remember a lot of the folks that settled the Appalachians and the Carolinas and all came over. They were Scotch-Irish from the lowlands. And from Northern Ireland, and they came here and grouped up. I mean, that's why you have Presbyterian centers around Charlotte, Chester, South Carolina, different places. And you have these little pockets of people in these hollows hollows in the mountains. And the North Carolina Board of Tourism used to put out a little pamphlet called English as she is spoke. And it's basically the Elizabethan survivals in mountain mm-hmm. English. And the folklore is the same way. I mean, the black dogs that, you know, haunt battlefields where the British army's lost dead. They show up. Um we've got ghost dogs, you know, and there's the little, little people, bitches, you know, the folks who Everybody has little people.
0: Every every it yep. seems like every state has there little people.
1: Has people. All that It's a big thread, and like I say, it's just basically the folklore we got. It's just like that language. We drug it in a dark alley, beat it up, and we kept it. So, yeah. (laughs) There's not much original American folklore. The Mothman's probably on that short list, and then some of the native stuff like the Skinwalkers they're probably native too they're not that many related stories to that in the UK that's for a example. good
0: segue because that was one of the things i was going to bring up with you is that you've got a story about a skinwalker that you talk about in your book and uh that's interesting. That's another topic that we've never really breached on this show is the whole topic of skinwalkers. Now, skinwalkers are usually a Western thing. You don't hear too much about skinwalkers on the East side of the States with Native American folklore. I was always under the impression that was more of a like a West, well, I don't say West Coast, but a Western side of the States thing. You don't really hear about much of that over over here. So how, what's the story behind the skinwalker thing?
1: Um, they're Navajo folklore and i'm not a expert but i'll play one on tv for a minute they're um supposedly people that were too evil to pass on to the next world and they wander around and they're not really vampires or cannibals but they're kind of a cross between them and um in that story they're not a major character, but they show up because that story is set on Highway 666, which is now Highway 491 out in New Mexico. And that runs right along the line of the Navajo Reservation, and there have been reports that people will see a girl, bleached white, long black hair, white dress on the side of the road, and when she is approached, her on hinges, jet black eyes, fangs, and she pursues people and vehicles almost with super speed in comparison to a regular Sounds person. like a
0: crack whore, but okay. But,
1: yeah. <laughs> and when confronted, she fades out. But if you run, she'll be happy to chase after you. Well, and when you look at
2: Skinwalker walk, skin myth, and the problem is so much stuff has become popularized versus what the old legends and stories were but you know, from basically the research that i've done over the years and because we pulled it in some stories is and i got some of this from from some time out there in you basin um the story really boils down to you have people who want to get a hold of you know as you, for however you want to put it, the dark powers. And usually it involves a ritual being you know trained and mentored, having to sacrifice one of your loved people from your own family, you know, all these sorts of things to then take on the ability to be shapeshifters um, and all this sort of stuff. So it's.
0: Yeah, it's the equivalent of a Native American witch. That's what they consider their their witch, they have witchcraft and witches as well, but their witchcraft is different than what you get from like the the European idea brought over to America. So it's a, it's kind of a different thing for them. There it's it's that is very much inherently evil in a different way, but that's that's what they consider their witches for the most part. Um and that I know of, they can shapeshift.
1: Panda, Yeah, it the, the nearest comparison for American folklore is, and this is a subject near and dear to Jim's heart, is a boohag. hag. A what? A blue hag? A oh, boo hag. A blue hag. E O H A G. blue hag, are a coastal South Carolina mainly phenomenon. And in the African American community, they were the same kind of thing. They were witches who could remove their skin like a suit and then they would go forth and make mischief. They would ride you like on unattended livestock. They would ride those. Um, they would ride people um, both in a sexual and non-sexual mm-hmm. manner. Um, and the only way to get rid of one if you were tormented by such would be to put salt into their skin, if you could find it, and I will bow to Jim's greater expertise on that topic, because I know it's near and dear to his heart. But well, yeah, I, the, I set it up on a tee pretty well for you, Jim. Yeah the the
2: boo hags you had boo hags and boo daddies, and it comes out of Gullah culture, out of the Low Country, um, which runs basically Charleston Savannah, and you know there's flavors of it up and down the coast, but the the it. It would either be somebody that showed up as a beautiful young woman or as the old hag. And if they showed up as the old hag, they usually tended to live outside of town. And they were kind of that medicine woman. Um, If they were the beautiful young woman, then often what the story was, you know, they also lived outside of the town. They were the beautiful young woman. Somebody stumbled across them, fell, fell in love with the girl. And what would happen is he'd wake up one night and discover that, you know, his wife was gone in the middle of the night. And what um, the the story would be is that they would spin their skin off onto the spinning wheel. Um, and so the skin would be spun off like a thread. Huh. And they could go off and take off into the night. Um, they would draw the breath and draw the life out, much like the the old hag. This is kind of where they run into the old hag Yeah, that's the term sort of haggard
0: came from, too, because uh, they would show up at night yeah. and they would ride you in your sleep, you know, sexually inst- steal your energy. So when you woke up and you look, you know, like a mess, it's, man, you look pretty haggard. And that's, that's the root word for mm-hmm. that term
2: go ahead so yeah i mean that's that's kind of the same story and the only way you could ever actually kill or get rid of the hag is to find her skin and stop her from being able to put it back on by sunrise um and so there there's a couple of variations of it but that's the the two big variations of it uh, i actually wrote a story um, using um, using the Boo Hag, the young version of it, of course, um, that uh, when it, and it won a second pro, second place in a contest and wound up re- being read as a radio play. And the review that I got for that was it was both, uh, what do they call it, sultry yet horrific. Um, it's, a, it's a
1: hell of a good read. I highly recommend it if you can track it down.
2: That's on the website because it's yeah it's not been published anywhere yet else yet but other than going out in the in that wow. contest um, but it's it, I've been, I've outlined it to turn it into a full novel it just hadn't happened yet
0: that's strange because there's there's an Asian story much like that it's a there's a vampire which I can't remember the name of it right now I used to know it really well but it's a very similar story where this thing um. It's, there's one version of it where the head and the entrails, and I'm sure you know about it, where the head separates and it's just basically a floating head with entrails and it goes out and it looks for children mm-hmm. and stuff. And the only way you can kill it is to find its body and destroy the body so the head has nothing to come back to, which is one of the ones that kills it. And so there's parallel myths here where you have something that leaves its body behind to go out and do whatever mischief it's going to do, then it has to come back to it. And if there's nothing for it to come back to, then it dies. And I believe there's also something there about salting it. Um, which salt is another reoccurring thing that you see happen in paranormal and folklore. Um, it's very earth binding and what have you. Um, but these legends also carry over to like, like the Orient, like that, that story that, that was from down there. There's two of them that are like that. And I can't remember what the names of either one of them are probably because I can barely speak English. So Asian words are going to be that much harder for me. But <laughs>
2: One of them starts with a G, and I'm trying to remember what it is. And if I was at the office in Charlotte, um, I could pull it off the shelf and can tell look you. I um, actually while we're
0: talking. Heck, it wouldn't be the first time I've done something like that in there. Uh, Asian floating vampire. The magical book of knowledge. Uh, the Krasue is one of them, or K-R-A-S-U-E is one of them. Um, that's a Cambod- that's a Cambodian one, though. Oh, the Penanglian. That's the one that I'm thinking
2: cool. of. Penanglian. Yeah, that's a, yep. The penguin, yeah, and and, and a friend of mine actually used the the penguin as the backdrop for one of her stories, and of course I'm terrible with the name of it. It is too, but there's also, like I said, there's a number of variations of that with the you know the floating head. The asswag is um, another one, or
0: aswag. I keep calling it Aswag, It's aswag or aswang. God damn, <laughs> really, I do know what I'm talking about, folks.
2: Uh we can't let John hear that one or he'll turn it into a shingles novel. <laughs> um, no,
1: don't, no, 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 no. Don't, don't even consider that.
0: Zhang uh, Shi, I believe is another one. That one's out of China, but they all follow the same similar motif where something leaves its body behind to go out and do what it does. And then it comes back. Now what's strange is how closely that resembles the folklore from where you're at though. It's like, how is there cross contamination there? And if so, how that's odd. That's, uh, that's,
1: well, I think because there's always the people have always wanted to astral project, um, you know, kind of see what's going, what's going on mm-hmm. over there, you know, what are they up to that I'm not, you know, that whole FOMO thing. And, and I think that's part of it. And plus, you kind of have to have a way to explain how, you know, the well off old man wound up with this. Hot young thing when all the young studs in the neighborhood can't even get a glance, and you know, she's she, this old codger falls in love with her and she loves him better than biscuits uh-huh. and all this. You have to have a reason why, and it can't be because, well, she's she's a 10 on a 10 point scale, and you know, being older that may decrepit or disinterested, you have to have a reason to explain, well, she's a hag and she's riding him and all this stuff. It's not because you know she's attracted because he's rich and she's he's attracted because she's hot. You have to have a supernatural reason. That- or she's obviously bewitched somebody. Yeah, and speaking of the as a male type person, really, the, the, it would take a that? male type I don't person. Think so.
2: Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his wife does does write romance, so you know you.
1: And it. supernatural, paranormal, hard too. Well, so, yeah. you guys
0: are both. Well, actually, um, Tally, you're more of um, you're more of a factual one, whereas James, you you do the horror and things like that. But you actually both do your research based off of factual legends and things.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of my part of my shtick, as it were, is I will go and wear out, you know, archives, you know, I'm hard in the pun. I'm kind of a haunt of old libraries and whatnot, and I will find a place and I will actually go down to wherever it is to research. And then, you know, basically, if nothing happens when I go, that's what I tell you. Mm-hmm. But this is what's supposed to happen. This is what happened when I went. And when you go, you pay your money and take your chances.
0: So how much stuff have you had actually happened to you then?
1: And there's the sigh. A hell of a lot. A hell of a lot. Um, like I say, how much time do we really have and how how charged is your phone? How how much do you want to tell me? I'll put it that way. That's put
0: it that way. be the best way to go. What's the most crazy thing that comes off the top of your head that you saw that you were like, what the hell was that? I have no explanation for that. And like something outside of the norm of like usual ghost stories and things like that.
1: I actually do have one. I was out doing site visits for my ghost of the south carolina midlands book a couple years back and i had resolved to do 12 sites in a day and the nearest one was a two-hour drive from the house so i was going to be in the car a lot in high august in south carolina mosquitoes 100 percent humidity and 200 degrees Mm -hmm. and i had gone all the way till after lunch and i'm like you know what i am sick to damn death of the i'm going to get out of the car i'm going to walk around through this for a little bit, so I go to a place called Rivers Bridge State Park, which um, is down near Bamberg, and it is the site of the Battle of Salkehatchie Swamp, which is where Sherman decided to come into South Carolina after taking over Savannah in January of 1865. The Confederates put a cannon on a causeway across the swamp, killed a couple of Union soldiers, and then Sherman said, "You know what? Screw this. I've got 80,000 men." just crossed the damn thing, and the Confederates ran off. And I'm down there, and they have a trail that shows the Confederate entrenchments and all this, and I go down the hill, and I see a guy wading in a blackwater swamp. Now, blackwater swamps have the rotten oak leaves and all this stuff in them, and they're notorious for having critters like snakes and alligators and whatnot in them. And this jackass is wading around waist-deep in water, Wearing a blue wool jacket and has shoulder length blonde hair and a big bushy mustache. You sure wasn't a Citadel Cadet? No, because you can't have that much facial hair at the Citadel Cadet. And not even they would wear blue wool off campus if they could get away with it in August. But I look up and I'm about to say, Get out the damn swamp, you fool. Mm -hmm. When he throws his arm back uh, out, out, out from his side and falls backwards into the water and does not make a splash. I stop dead in my tracks. Tried to, the wheels are clicking, but nothing's happening, trying to process what I've just seen, and I walk back up to my car. Screw the rest of the trail. I'm out of here and i'm sitting in, in the car and i'm going frantically through my notebook trying to figure out what the hell i just saw and then i don't realize there shouldn't be a ghost here because the damn battle was in like mid-january and this is like the first week in august but apparently whatever the power that be decided was guess what you're gonna get a friend.
0: <laughs> I love how you go to the rationalization you use is the calendar. Like d- this is the wrong time of year for you to be here, sir. You need to come back and haunt here at a later date because the dates yeah. clearly don't match up. Do you understand you're at the wrong time of year, sir? Like you're arguing with a
1: ghost about the date that he's there. Uh, that, well, I didn't argue with him. It was just like, you know what? Screw you. I'm out because I know, but, and I've watched <laughs> I Tally argue with a William post. The so... Flash, especially if you're any size, there worth no those flashes. And I was like, when I got back to the car, then the wheel started actually clicking in place, and I was like, "Shit, this doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but I really think that you know whatever God decided to control such things decided you know he's had a dry spell all morning. let's give him a little something something for the afternoon." <laughs> And there it was. And I was just like, well, shit, that makes no sense. So the guy went back and fell into the
0: water is what you're saying. Did the the water react? Did it move? Did you actually see water movement? No splash or nothing?
1: He laid, he fell back and there was no disturbance in the water, no ripple, no splash. I heard no gunshot or anything. And I'm like, if you disturb black water swamp, then I think Jim can probably testify, something will react. And there was no reaction from anything living or dead. And that's when I said, yeah, I'm done. Screw
2: the end. Wow. All right. So Tally, I'm going to ask a question. So, okay. and I can hear the trepidation in your voice. Um, so, so when you're out hunting for something and you actually see something, why is the first reaction to then run if That's what you're looking for.
1: When I'm looking, see, I, I, I've told you this before when I'm looking, I don't have any problem with it, but when I'm not looking for ghosts and they show up, it's like, oh, hell no. And my immediate response is fight or flight. And I'm like, I can't fight it because it would be like trying to put a fist through a cold breeze. So I'm out of here. And once I, you know, do the Scooby thing and I run on the air for five minutes and run back towards the car, <laughs> and then I stop it and I'm like, well, damn it, wait a minute. I got to figure out what the hell that was. But well, by that time it's gone. But when I'm looking for something, I'm cool with it. But when it just happens out of a random spark, then I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I mean, I, I do have some sense. And the Cool Breeze thing is a lot funnier in context of that sex panel we were talking about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> because it's kind of like making love to a Cool Breeze if you're going to have sex with a ghost, despite what the books would lead you to believe. <laughs> <clears throat> you, sir, up. are
0: an interesting <laughs> individual. <laughs> so, uh, See, that's, 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 that's a weird dichotomy because you'd figure a person that goes out looking for, well, then again, I mean, you got the ghost hunters and stuff on TV where, where, something happens and they start freaking out and running. That, I've, I've brought this up before on the show. Let's say you're in the afterlife. You are a ghost. You're stuck here. Whatever reason you're stuck here on earth, whatever it means to be in existence as a ghost. So you're out there, ghost hunters show up, and they're like, if there's anybody here, could you let us know that you're here? So me, I'm like, okay, fuck it, move the chair, do something, blah, blah, blah. And then the people freak out and go running out of the room. It's like, that's rude as hell. You know, it's like, you wanted to talk to me, I here I am, and then you run away. You know, the frustration that that level would mount, it's kind of like, yeah. screw you, you know?
1: <laughs> when I, and I go on purpose a lot. And when I go, I'm prepared, by my my mind's right, if that makes any sense, and my senses are more, more alert, and I'm prepared to say yes, no, bullshit, whatever. Okay. But when it's just a random encounter, even for, for me as somebody who's been fooling with this stuff for, well, I'm 30 years, it's just, what the hell? <laughs> it, it's just, it's one of those things that it, it's weird, but... When I'm in ghost mode, I'm cool. When I'm not, it's like, I'm like everybody else. It's like, holy shit, what the hell's that?
0: So have you had anything happen where you've actually interacted with it, and it's interacted with you?
1: I've been um, slapped. Does that count? I, yeah, that would be interaction. Um, yeah, there's a place here in Chester called the Powell Theater. It used to be the home of the Little Theater here in town. About 10 years ago, me and some people were doing a, in air quotes, investigation. It's hard to do an investigation when you've had three beers beforehand. But we're wandering around this haunted site, and there have been things happen in the building, mails, noises, lights, the whole shooting match. And a buddy of mine takes me up to the balcony, which is where the African-Americans used to sit prior to integration, and says, can you do me a favor and go down and check the alley door and make sure it's locked? Because we don't want anybody coming in on us while we're doing this investigation. Sure. So I la-la-la down the steps, and there are concrete steps with the little metal runners on each edge and a landing, another set of steps, and then this door. Well, I blithely go down the first set of stairs and hit the landing, and something grabs me by the neck and begins to gently squeeze to the point where you can see finger marks on my neck. And as I'm standing there bug-eyed, something swings a hand through the air and smacks me, and you could hear the crack. There's a handprint on my face. And my erstwhile friend who'd sit me on this wild goose chase is behind me laughing like a fool. And after what seemed like an hour and a half, it was probably about, you know, 10 seconds, grabs me by the belt and pulls me back. I turn around and call him everything but a child of God and a friend of man. If I use the language that I used, you would probably have to ban me from the Internet. <laughs> it was that I use the f word in every possible part of speech, including the period and the commas. Okay. At volumes only heard, you know, at like metallica so concerts.
0: Did you think that? Did you think that your friend was who did it to you, or your friend was? Oh no, we-
1: no. Um, there was nothing there. I mean, I was. The grab came from the front. The slap came from the front. And after he stopped laughing about it, he explained that in the early fifties, a cleaning lady who was African American was sexually assaulted on that landing, and during the assault, she hit her head and died of a skull fracture overnight. And apparently, it was in the paper here in town. You know, lady was a victim of an assault, died on the scene. Blah blah blah. And the only clue that we have that the person who did the crime was a white person was. The fact that she does not like white men. Because on a later hunt I sent a person down those same stairs who was a white female and she had no issues. So apparently white guys who talk funny are not on her Christmas list. So yeah, but I've been smacked, um, I've been touched, tut- folk have I had my name called first and last, um, doing an E V P session. So, I mean I've I've been luckier than most. I've had some Real fun with the thing.
0: I wouldn't call getting smacked in smack the face, bitch slapped, being fun, but
1: yeah. College Wolverine. I was gonna say if you if you were a ghost investigator type, that would be bucket list shit. Like that, Vegas has never been slapped by anything, but deserves to be.
0: Oh, I've done ghost hunting many times. I've I've seen a few oddball things here and there, but I've never had anything to that extent happen to me. But then again, like see in my impression when you're going out looking for this stuff you're inviting it in so oh, yeah. when it does happen you kind of got to be like well i asked for this now granted if somebody were to yank my belt and slap me across the face i'd probably get a little pissed off at that but i mean is it, i mean I, nobody wants to get smacked out of nowhere you know i mean that's probably one of the situations where i'd come up swinging but i wouldn't know what the hell i'd what, what i'd probably look ridiculous too what the hell am i going to be swinging at
1: so yeah <laughs> yeah not well, like i say i mean in, in the moment, my yeah. my brain was like, who the hell is doing this and why? Exactly. And as soon as that little circle or bubble or whatever got burst, when the guy grabbed me back and yanked, he became the object of my disdain in a skinny oh, yeah. minute. And I was like, you son of a bitch and me are going to have some words of prayer, and I am not going to be kind. <laughs> To put it mildly, I was, oh my God, I was as mad as I have ever been. And like I say, it wasn't his fault. The fact that he was laughing at it didn't help his cause any, but.
0: Yeah, but what are you going to do? You know, I mean, I don't know if I would be much different either. You know what I mean? I don't know. I I can't say because I'm not there, but.
1: <laughs> sounds like rite of passage to me, but you know. <laughs> yeah. That was one of those things that it wasn't, in the moment, it was disconcerting because there physical things happening to me that have no cause. But mm. I was in that mindset where I was like, okay, I'm ghost hunting, this is cool, what's next? Whereas if i just been Joe Blow off the street and, you know, kind of been like in library mode or in husband mode or whatever, and something like that happens, then it's a whole other ballgame. Then my reaction would not be, this is interesting, this would be more like, oh, hell no, I'm out of here.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, I get that, yeah. I've brought that up before, too, when people from the outside, um, the norms or whatever you want to call them, the sleepwalkers, when people who aren't into this kind of stuff have some kind of paranormal experience and they have nothing to gauge it against or have it a complete <coughs> – excuse me – out of um, something unexpected happen to them, how do you react to something like that? How do you – coming from a regular nine-to-five day-to-job, paying bills and stuff like that, and then something yanks you out of nowhere and smacks you across the face – and there's nothing there. What reference point do you have to go on other than I just got my ass kicked by, by something that I can't explain? You know, so if you're going in well, there Well, most
1: a- people – thankfully, most people don't have the gumption or the stupidity – I'm not sure which one it is – to actually go be in that situation. But if you're in a circumstance where you have most of your normal encounters, you'll have a voice speaking in an empty house. hmm um, an object will move without help or something. Or a normal person, in quotes, that's freaky enough for a lifetime. I mean, that's, you'll drink on that from now on. Mm-hmm. Most ghosts aren't willing enough to be, I mean, the residual energy isn't strong enough to have that kind of manifestation, to kind of put a hippy-dippy spin on things.
0: So, I'm I'm getting a kind of a spiritual vibe from you. Are you a spiritual person yourself? Do you have um, a certain faith that you approach this stuff from, or do you just try to go and uh, open minded about it?
1: I'm open minded. Like I said, when I'm doing it research, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that something will happen. But even if I go and the site's of dud because you know they built a subdivision on top of it or whatever. At least I've got the story out of it that I can A put in print so it doesn't die all in a generation. Or I can tell it in a situation like this or at a con, um, or at a school or a library hint hint. I mean, I'm a liberal Christian. I mean I'm 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 not Pentecostal, evangelical, you know, one of those, you know, everything's a demon. Throw holy water at it or anything. I'm but I'm more I'm spiritual enough to, I mean, I, when I go do something crazy with a group, I mean, I make sure we pray. And just because if there is something more evil, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. you know, that people are assailed by such craziness or stuff.
0: So having had these things happen to you, um, there is no wrong answer to this either. Where do you be- stand on your belief system in this? Do you, do you tend to lean more in the believer camp, the skeptical camp? Or are you somebody that's just on a middle saying, yeah, these things happen and we don't know why?
1: I'm a believer, but I don't have a theory. In fact, if you come up and say, I believe in ghosts and I have a theory on what they are, I'm kind of like, yeah, you spent too much time in the house and not enough time out in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there isn't a one size fits all. There is no ghost RX. There there is none of that. So I, I believe that there's this stuff happens because my experience are such that I've had them happen. Other people have had the same thing happen. There's something going on. Do I want to put a a tag on it? Not necessarily label it straight ghost. It could be something else, but it's worth looking into.
0: We're coming up on the uh, one-hour mark here. So... This is usually a point where the guests that are on the show, I give them a chance to promote anything that they've got out there. You've got several books out there. Um, you do appearances at cons. You do host panels. You do give presentations and lectures. And you do, uh, for l- lack of a better term, do give like uh, paranormal like history lectures and things like that. Do you have sure. a website where people can go and find all of your books? Um, obviously, right now, nobody's being booked for anything unless it's in the virtual realm, which is why we're all stuck at home waiting for this pandemic crap to pass over. But yeah. if people want to find you or f- find more of your stuff, because you do have a decent collection of books out there that I saw, um, where can people go to find you? Where can they c- check you out and how can um, they get in touch with you bro- if they want to do a yeah. booking or something? Um,
1: Best way to get a hold of me is the ubiquitous Facebook. Um, I'm Tally Johnson on there. Um, I have a website. It is wixsite.tallyjohnson.wix.com, dot 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 com. I think. Um, <laughs> if you do a Google search for Tally Johnson, goes. It's I think it's the first hit. So. Okay. Um, but yeah, Amazon for the books, um, like I said, Creek walking is put out by Falstaff books out of Charlotte. Um, the, I've got a book coming out hopefully this summer with perspective press which is civil war goes to South Carolina. Um, with new material, it's a re-release. You got anything in there you
0: want
1: to cover? Sir? Do you have anything in
0: there that you want to cover? You got any stories in there you want to put out real quick Does a teaser for um,
1: The River Fridge story is probably um, the coldest one in there, mm-hmm. uh, but it covers the entire state. It's my only book that covers everything from Caesar's Head to Charleston.
0: Well, I do appreciate you coming on here, James, since you were here as well and you've instigated and pushed this along. Uh, do you have your website up and running yet? Do you have anything oh, in the yeah. works?
2: Do we have anything in the works? Well, you can Yeah, find I know me. you do have a
0: lot in the works, so <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. You are you are you are the hardest working man in quarantine that I know right now. <laughs>
2: um, you can get to all of our different stuff from jamespnevels.com. You can get to the fiction me jimmcdonald.net from there you can get to author essentials and all the author stuff we're doing over there um later this year i've got um i have a southern noir piece coming out uh, from perspective press um there's an unnamed project that's coming out um, from a mutual friend of ours that hopefully my piece will be in there uh, i've got a couple of books coming out later this year uh we've got Since we're all in quarantine, but this has been something where we've been working on for a while now, Um, we're going to be having uh, a bunch of virtual events. And this will be ongoing, especially even after we get out of quarantine. But um, you can go to uh, right now. It's just con dash tenuous on Facebook. But the website, uh, a lot of that stuff is coming up here very shortly. Um, Creating pros is relaunching with new episodes. And so is books and beer uh in the next week or so and um i'm pretty sure there's something else in there too that i'm missing
0: good god how
1: yeah no uh, hell.
0: What, what the hell cocaine kills man <laughs> i don't know what else to tell you every time i talk you're like yeah i've got this going i've got that going i've got this going it's i, I don't know how the hell you have time for this. this is why you're in quarantine in the mountains and you're still busy
2: Look, if you're, you know, if you're in quarantine, you got time to get stuff done. Go get stuff done. Quit reading Facebook, except for going to continuous. tenuous. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> smooth, my man. Smooth. All right. Um, I'm going to let both of you guys go. Tally, James, thanks for coming on here and sharing this folklore and this information and these uh, really cool ghost stories with me. It was fun talking to you guys. It's, it's neat because we really don't cover a lot of that part of the country down there, very much. We've tapped on Appalachia here and there, but that is such an area with such a rich culture, even like in magical culture and things like that. It's uh, it's just this like weird little gem of the United States where strange things happen in weird ways. So it was fun to talk to you guys about this. I really appreciate you being here. Thank yeah, you very much. for
1: having me. And I'd thanks love to come always.
0: back. No problem, man. We can we can arrange that. You guys take care. Yeah.
1: You too. Thanks, man. Thanks, bro.
0: Tally Johnson, James Nettles. Big thanks again to James for helping me find some people to get all this stuff up and running. It was uh, Again, we hung out down in uh, South Carolina for dinner, and uh, we just sat down and brainstormed and came up with all kinds of stuff. It was really neat. And then I was like, well, Daytona's over with. Give him a call. Let's see if we can get some stuff going. And being that he's sequestered up in the mountains right now, he's like, yeah, sure. Let's do this. Let us let me find some stuff here, and uh, let's, let's run with this. Tally's a great guy. He's got a lot of books. I think he's got five or six, I could be wrong on that. They are all on Amazon. Uh, they're pretty much Appalachian folklore, ghost stories, uh, strange things along those lines. And he is a storyteller. So if you get a chance and you're looking for something to read, go look him up on Amazon. It's a great book to pick up right now while we're all stuck at home. I do have another show that's ready to be edited. The second that this hits the feed, I will immediately begin editing on that one. And then I have another interview set up for in a couple of days and then a couple of more a little bit further down the road here. So so it appears that the ball is rolling and the machine is up and running again. So uh, let's see what we can go with this and let's see what happens. Having said that, things, as everybody knows, are weird right now. So it's very important that we all look out for one another as best we can, be it social media, texts, video calls, phone calls, anything you got to do to take care of one another because we're all kind of losing our minds and we're all afraid and we're all adjusting and the world is changing rapidly around us, which none of us really need to hear. But a very good friend of mine has recently told me um, it's important that we have hope. Having said that, I will leave us with the immortal words of Trent Reznor, which is, you and me, we're in this together now. We will make it through somehow. This is Rojan, signing off from the number three hotspot in the country, Detroit, Wayne County, Michigan. Things are getting really, really crazy here. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, I will see you guys again very soon. Take care. Take it easy. This is Rojan. Peace.
1: To the sound